0: Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. Those cold northern winds, they're officially here, people. They are officially here. And if you're feeling the shiveries inside your house, you know what time it is. It's time to talk to your local Pella Omaha and Lincoln expert about taking a closer look at your windows. You can save energy and stay warm with windows from Pella that are properly installed. The patented Pellaway by pros, professionals, using windows and doors with the highest energy efficiency ratings in the industry from Energy Star. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. So I was in Lawrence, Kansas again, this time for Creighton and Kansas. And uh, after I called the game on the National Sports Network, uh, debut of a national radio network, the only place I could think of going to either uh, drown in my sorrows of a Creighton loss or celebrate a Kansas win, I'm not sure which, which one it really was, I had to go to Runza. I had to hit up the old, uh, the old Runza in Lawrence, Kansas that I used to go to all the time and because I needed some fuel to hit I-29. Of course, it was a nice cheese Runza, large order of French fries. Oh, my gosh, it was delicious. Absolutely love Runza. Runza makes it all better. So here we are it is uh it's December 9th and uh, I felt like I needed to fire up uh, three topics pod again with a you know we got a lot of things going on in sports right now I mean at this point it's like we could talk about th- the Big Ten and you know reversing courses and changing their decision with Ohio State and going doing away with their minimum game requirement to be uh, to be eligible for the Big Ten title you know I, I mean I th- I think uh, on that I, listen I I'm not going to be disingenuous and and sit there and and say, well, you know, if you didn't do it once, I don't want you to do it again. Like I've I've always wanted the big 10 to be flexible and nimble during this pandemic with their, with how they're doing things, you know? And so I'm not going to criticize them when they finally do. And the reality is, listen, who doesn't think Ohio state's the best team in the big 10 and Ohio state beat Indiana head to head. Like what would be a huge disaster is if somehow Ohio state and Indiana hadn't played each other yet. And then this was a scenario, right? You'd be like, Oh gosh, what, what's, what's, what do you do then? But the fact that Ohio state beat them head to head, all that stuff, it's, it's, uh, it's, I'm not willing to get upset about it, but what is upsetting if you're a Nebraska fan is, you know, when, when, when you know what hit the fan for you and you requested the Big 10 to be nimble or change their rules everybody yelled at you criticized you ran you off the stage but when it happens for the Ohio State University well then then it's then it's different and and I'm just not a fan of being a hypocrite like something's either something if it's wrong it's wrong or if it's right it's right it shouldn't matter who's involved right like so that that's kind of where I'm with it but I, I don't know I'm not going to get upset where it's like Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten. They beat Indiana head to head. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get all up in arms about that. But I guess that wasn't even a part of my podcast here. But I I wanted to fire up a three topics podcast because we got a lot of things going on. College basketball in full swing. Creighton and Nebraska. Nebraska football season is winding down. So there's a lot to discuss. So I I, I had three topics, two hoops uh, topics, and then I'll wrap up with Nebraska and uh, and Mackenzie Milton. I want to get into that because I think there, I think that's a really interesting conversation. It's been interesting to you know listen to sixteen twenty and different takes from whether it's Steve Sipple or whoever on how they view that situation. There's been a handful of things that I find interesting, a handful of things I really disagree with. I'll get into that on my final topic of this podcast. But I want to begin the podcast topic number one. Uh, we got to recap, look back at Creighton and Kansas. I mean, they played a hell of a game in Allen Fieldhouse on Tuesday night. That game was intense. Sitting courtside for that one, that game had an NCAA tournament feel to it. Every possession, every rebound, every shot felt important. So, the game itself, just from a from from a, a basketball lover standpoint, like it was a it was a hell of a game. It was a blast to watch, and obviously, Creighton came up one point short. Marcus Zagorowski was at the free throw line with one second left. Uh, Got fouled in a three, swishes the first, swishes the second, missed the third free throw, ball game, Kansas wins. And, you know, this game wasn't really too hard to figure out and analyze and digest. I mean, this game for Creighton came down to missed free throws, missed threes from your best shooters, and extra possessions. Creighton missed seven free throws in the second half. Seven. They went five of 12. And they finished 9 of 18 from the free throw line for the game. It's hard to win on the road if you're you know you're giving away free points like that. Creighton went 9 of 27 from, from beyond the arc. But more importantly, down the stretch, the final five or six minutes of the game, Creighton got great looks from three, from their best shooters. Mitch, Denzel, Marcus Zagorowski missed good, clean looks. And, you know, I got to think Coach McDermott will live with the shots they got down the stretch. You know, if you would have told Coach McDermott, hey, to beat Kansas, you're going to get two standstill threes for Mitch ballock You're going to get a good look from Denzel. You're going to get a, a, a good, a few good looks for Marcus Zagorowski, And you're going to get to the free throw line a bunch. You, 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 you feel good about that. You take your chances. He'd have been like, absolutely, sign me up. And that's what happened. And Creighton just missed those shots. So, you know, miss free throws, miss threes from your top shooters, and then extra possessions. You just look You look at the total number of field goal attempts for the game. Kansas took 10 more shots for the game. And that comes back to turnovers and offensive rebounds. Kansas grabbed 13 offensive rebounds. Creighton turned the ball over 14 times. And, you know, Creighton's a ball movement, high assist team. And they had a negative assist to turnover ratio for that game. They had more turnovers than assists. That's not how Creighton plays. But... What's encouraging, if you're looking at something glass half full early in the year, what's encouraging is even with all that said, Creighton was right there, right? Obviously, they had Zegarowski at the line with one free throw to take it into overtime. And I didn't even feel like Creighton played great offensively. They didn't. Ballock was two of eight. Zegarowski didn't play well in the first half. And what's what's encouraging is, you know, Creighton, Creighton used to be a team that had to that like had to shoot it great and had to play great to win against quality opponents like a Kansas, right? Well, against a top ten Kansas team on the road, Creighton didn't even play well offensively, and had a free throw that could have sent it to overtime. That was that was as connected and locked in and flying around on defense as I've seen Creighton in a while. I mean, they are really their ball screen defense, recovering on McCormick, scrambling back out, communicating like was really good. Sure, they had, at one point, Damian Jefferson and Zagorowski messed up a switch and Garrett got an and one. I mean, you're you're not going to be perfect, but for the most part, man. I mean, it's hard. Like, Creighton held Kansas to 34% shooting from the field in the second half and under 40% for the game. It is a pretty damn good defensive effort. So all that is encouraging. And what else is, what also is encouraging is the trio of Christian Bishop, Damian Jefferson, and Denzel Mahoney all played really, really well. Those two, th- those three dudes were really good. But what is a little frustrating if you're Creighton or a little, you know, a little concerning right now is you your two star guards really haven't played well this season so far. I know we're only a few games in, but Marcus Zagorowski and Mitch Baloch haven't really looked like themselves yet this season. Both guys aren't shooting it great. And you're talking about two of the best shooters in the country. Mitch Baloch is shooting 28% from three. I mean, this is a guy that I put in like the Doug McDermott, Ethan Rogge category of shooter. He's shooting 28% from three. And then Marcus Zagorowski, who's a fantastic shooter, is shooting 33% for th- from three. And, you know, Marcus Zagorowski in particular just doesn't look quite right yet to me because it's not just the Kansas game. Now, he got it going a little bit in the second half, but, you know, in the in the first half, he was kind of a non-factor. I mean, he airballed two threes. But even against North Dakota State and Kennesaw State, Marcus Zagorowski just doesn't seem he, – he's, he's not in that same rhythm and flow yet. And I'd have to imagine that there has to be some rust from that torn meniscus for him. And, you know, it's, co- it's important to keep in mind that, you know, he's a guy that's had a really injury-plagued career at Creighton. I mean, he had a broken hand as a freshman, missed three games. He had a torn labrum in his hip and had offseason hip surgery after his freshman year. And then we all know at the end of last year, he tore his meniscus and had surgery on that as well. I mean, all those things add up. And sometimes, even though you are, quote-unquote, medically cleared and your knee is, quote-unquote, 100%, mentally, you aren't quite there yet. You aren't quite 100%. Your timing isn't quite there. Your rhythm isn't quite there. And that's kind of what I'm seeing so far from Marcus Zagorowski. He just, just, he doesn't quite have his his rhythm and flow and confidence rolling yet. And you know, listen, that needs to change. And I think it will, but that needs to change because the reality is, and I've talked about this a ton. Creighton goes as Marcus Zagorowski goes. You just go back and you look at all of Creighton's games over the past two years. You just go back and look all the games that Creighton has lost and not played well usually Marcus Zagorowski doesn't play well and then obviously the opposite is true you go back and when Creighton plays well and they win a big game Marcus Zagorowski usually plays well and has a big game so he's got to find that flow he, he's he's got to find that that rhythm and flow and Mitch Ballock I'm not sure what the deal is. he just has got to start you know shooting how he's capable of shooting Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not sounding the alarm on these guys. If there's two dudes that I believe in with all my heart, it's those two guys. I'm confident both those those guys will get it going, but that's kind of just the reality of what is happening right now. I I still really like this Creighton team. I still think they're a top-10 team in the country, and I still think they're good enough to make a deep, deep run in March. But they just came up short on the road at Kansas. And Creighton had their chances, man. Great shots from their top shooters didn't fall. Would have been a hell of a win, man. But unfortunately, Kansas came out on top, which is typically what happens under Bill Self at Kansas. I mean, do you realize Bill Self has more conference titles than home losses in his time at Kansas? I mean, damn. If I were Coach Self, I'd have like that as my bumper sticker (laughs) or something like that. More conference championships than home losses since 2003. Holla at you, boy. I mean, that, that is that's unbelievable. So there you go with, with that. I mean, it's a hell of a game. You know, it's a hell of a game. And, you know, I mean, selfishly, because I played for both programs, like, I hope Creighton and Kansas start a little series or something. I think that'd be great. I think that'd be awesome. Get get a little home and home going. That would be fantastic. But it was a great game. Everybody's been kind of circled that date all throughout the offseason. Uh, uh, Creighton just came up a little short. All right, topic number two, sticking with Creighton. It's Creighton-Nebraska week. The I-80 rivalry is is this Friday, and the Blue Jays and the Huskers are going to hook up. And I'm just, first of all, I'm so glad that Fred Hoiberg and Greg McDermott found a way to play this game. It just would have been a shame to see this rivalry not get played, and frankly, it would have been stupid for this game to not get played from the standpoint of we're in the midst of a pandemic. You know, Creighton can play Kennesaw State, or North Dakota state, but not Nebraska. And, you know, Nebraska can play South Dakota, but not Creighton. You know I mean? Come on, come on. So I'm, I'm glad that they found a way to make sure this game got played, but uh, they've obviously, they've switched the, the venues around. This year was supposed to be at Nebraska, but because of COVID, there wasn't going to be uh, fans inside Pinnacle Bank arena. And, you know, Fred Hoiberg certainly wants fans for, for that game. So, Hoiberg and Coach McDermott agreed to play again in Omaha this year when there's not going to be really any fans. So that way, next season, when this pandemic has quieted down and all the fans can return, Pinnacle Bank Arena will be full for, for that game. Which makes sense. And shout out to Greg McDermott and you know Bruce Rasmussen for being accommodating to that request from Fred Hoiberg. Because that makes sense, right? But civility and doing favors and accommodating in a rivalry? What's this world coming to? But that's just it. Like this rivalry... This new this new chapter in the Creighton Nebraska rivalry with Fred Hoiberg's arrival it doesn't have any juice yet right let's be honest it doesn't have any juice yet I talked about I talked about this last year this rivalry was heating up towards the end of the, the Tim Miles era it was heating up a little bit you could feel the bad blood on a variety of levels between everyone staff players fan base obviously was bubbling over like. Uh, that night in Pinnacle Bank Arena a few years ago, I don't think Creighton fans are going to forget about that, and frankly burned f- a handful of bridges that I don't know if ever going to, you know, th- Creighton fans were not happy after that game with how they were treated. But that's rivalries, you know, that's how it goes. But obviously, when when you know that th- Tim Miles is now gone and Hoiberg's in, it's different. It's it's different. F- you know, Greg McDermott, Fred Hoiberg are friends, and. And in particular, now that Fred Hoiberg has flipped the roster for two straight years, there just isn't much animosity built up between the players and the staff or anything like that, right? Creighton blasted Nebraska last year in Omaha; just dismantled them. The final score was ninety-five to seventy-six, but Creighton got up forty to nine to start the game. Forty to nine—it I mean, was just—it was a blowout, right? But you know, you would think like, okay, revenge here it comes. Well, I mean. All the guys that were on the floor for Nebraska are basically gone. Last year on the floor for Nebraska was Cam Mack, Jervais Green, Deshaun Burke, Mate Kavaz, Kevin Cross, Charlie Easy, Hanif Cheatham. Like all those guys are gone. So the 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 lingering effects of that loss for the players just isn't really fully there. There they're just there can't be much revenge on the mind of uh, of that locker room, right? I mean, Kobe Webster has gonna be like, okay, what what happened last year? I wasn't even here, right? Like. Lat mayans like, well, what happened? I, I wasn't even I wasn't here. So you know, it, it it's just it's an interesting kind of moment in this rivalry. But I love it. I I, I love this rivalry. It's an interesting place right now. In an interesting place right now, the bad blood and all that. You know, it just it needs time to boil up again, right? It's certainly there from the fan bases, but for the the players and the coaches and all this stuff, it just it's a, it's. You got to organically let it kind of boil up. Because I'm just, I'm talking from a players and coaching staff standpoint, because that's how I come at this. That's how I come at this. I've played in this game, obviously, and it was, man, back in my, it was nasty. It was heated and it was intense when I played in that thing. And I've told you before that I think a lot of that had to do with Dana Altman. I mean, you got to keep in mind he's from Nebraska, he's from Wilbur, Nebraska. And I don't know if he'd ever admit this. And he's never told me this personally. But I think Dane Altman always felt like Nebraska, he always kind of felt like they looked down their nose at him for some reason. Like he kind of had that chip on his shoulder. And I've said this before. I don't, I don't think he would have taken the job. I don't know that for sure. I don't think he would have taken the job. But think how many coaches have come through Nebraska since Dane Altman arrived at Creighton. You had Barry Collier and Doc Sadler and Tim Miles. and uh, I mean, that job has opened up a lot, and he hasn't gotten a call. And I think on some level that bothered him, especially early on with Barry Collier. And uh, I think that stuff bothered him. And, man, you could just feel it from him when it was Nebraska week. He was different. He was fuming. He was nasty. He was emotional to the point where you couldn't help but match that nastiness and emotional approach as a player playing for him. And I've also felt like over the years, you know, far more in-state kids have played in this game for Creighton than Nebraska. And that matters too, right? Jimmy Moats, me, Josh Doetzler, Antoine Young, Josh Jones, Kyrie Thomas, Justin Patton, Sharif Mitchell. Like, th- that's a constant, steady in-state guy or guys on the roster for 15 to 20 years. And during that time, you know, Nebraska had Jake Mielisen and Wes Wilkinson and Jason DeRusso and Andrew Drivo in the early 2000s. But, you know, after 2005 or so, there's been a, there was a long drought of in-state dudes on the roster for that game. Now, you had your random, like, Drake Baronic, Deverell Biggs, Charlie Easley. But for the most part, the Nebraska in-state kids have been on Creighton's roster for this game. So whether it's Dana Altman and his emotions for this game, or the in-state flavor on the roster for Creighton, I I think this game has seemingly meant more to Creighton over the years. And I think that's shown up in the results. The past 21 regular season meetings, Creighton has won 17 of them. Creighton is 17 and 4 in the last 21 games against regular season games against Nebraska. And to take that a step further, Creighton has won the past 12 meetings in Omaha. So it's it's been it's been one sided in a lot of different ways. But this rivalry, I think I I said it last year, but I, I I think it's starting a new chapter. I thought it would begin last year, but I think it, it didn't really since the entire roster, entire roster is basically new again. I mean, the only two guys that played in the game last year in Nebraska's roster are Therir Thurban Yarnison and Ivan Drago, and I mean, you know those two, those guys are from France and Iceland, so it's not it, it's not like they probably really grasp the rivalry of Creighton and Nebraska, you know. So it's just it's just different, and I expect this game to be different than last year's. I don't I don't think Creighton's necessarily just going to blast Nebraska and run them off the floor. Nebraska's team is way more dynamic and capable offensively. I mean, just the raw talent on the roster is much better. I mean, you see it, Teddy Allen, Delano Banton, Trey McGowans, like they're they're so much more Lat Mayan. They're so much more talented offensively. But the one thing that hasn't really been tested yet is Nebraska's defense. Like they've been fairly solid you know, and definitely disrupting, disruptive with their turnovers. But, you know, I mean, they haven't played, they have played North Dakota State and South Dakota and McNeese State, Nevada, you know, like, as I'm taping this, they're playing Georgia Tech right now. So this is, but, you know, Creighton, That's it's a different level of offense that Nebraska is going to be defending with with Creighton. So that's something I'll be really intrigued with. Like, I think we're going to, we're going to find out quite a bit about Nebraska's defense in this game. And, the, the first step in that with dealing with Creighton is like, the good thing for Nebraska is they do have a small ball lineup that can match Creighton's, which is important. It's their starting five. You know, I've said this before. A lot of teams just don't have five guys on their roster that can throw out there to defend Creighton's small ball. And, it, and it's a huge factor. But Nebraska does, at least on paper. The lineup, the, the lineup of Banton, McGowan's, Teddy Allen, Thor, and Lat mayan I mean, the, those five can kind of kind of match up at least on paper with Creighton's small ball line. So that's going to be intriguing. I think both these teams are built similarly. I think that's what makes this rivalry now interesting, because Greg McDermott and Fred Hoiberg are, you know, they're they're very like minded philosophically in their offensive approach to the game. They both want to play with pace. They both want to take a lot of threes. So naturally the three-point line is going to be huge in this game whoever shoots it better is probably going to be in a great position to win but i've i've I've, in watching hoiberg for a year at nebraska i've I find it interesting to compare and contrast Nebraska and Creighton's pace. All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast and talk to you guys about Runza. So, you know, I've told you guys about the fact that you can custom order your Runza sandwiches, which is obviously a game changer. You can add anything within reason to a Runza sandwich, different cheeses, maybe some fries, maybe some pickles, whatever, since they all start out as an original Runza and are made to order, you can get creative. Well, I love getting tweets like this one from Joshua. He tweeted at me, tried the custom order tonight. Highly recommend you add ranch to the Runza with cheese. Hashtag Runza. Wow. Ranch? Ranch? on a Runza. I mean that sounds incredible. Good work, Joshua. May to have to give that one a try. You need to get to Runza and make your own masterpiece just like Joshua did. And when you're there, you need to tell him your buddy, your pal, your partner, your podcast buddy, Nick Ba sent you. Runza makes it all better. And while we're here, let's talk about Pella windows and doors. I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. Let's uh let's pull up uh let's pull up Pella's website right now. Look at this. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five five different types of windows or doors by Pella have won the Energy Star 2020 most energy efficient award. I mean that's some that's that's incredible. And they achieve that in a couple of ways. You have the insulated glass which slows the heat transfer keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. You have types of low-e glass which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. You have triple pane glass which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace and within all that within all that one of the keys is proper installation which is key for windows and doors to perform at their best and you know the Pella experts are excellent at that bottom line energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable and Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Turn your window and door remodeling dreams into a reality with Pella. Check them out online, Pellaomaha.com. That's Pellaomaha.com. Back to the podcast. Because you would say both teams play fast, and they do. But I think both teams go about it different. Like I think, I think Creighton plays legitimately fast. I think Nebraska takes quick shots. And I think there's a little difference or d- in distinction there. I think if you watch Creighton play, they play much faster in the open floor, in the literal term of fast. Like Creighton is faster getting from you know rebound outlet into offense. Nebraska doesn't play at the same breakneck speed that Creighton does, but Nebraska does hunt shots early in possessions. So it's just it's just a little it's a little different in how they kind of. Go about doing the same thing, so naturally transition defense going to be important because both teams going to want to you know attack early. Three point line I just said is going to be important, but I can't wait. I I love this game, man. I mean, I, I I'm going to pick Creighton to win, but I expect a much much better game than last year. And with with no fans, the environment won't really be a factor either, which you know that's that's a real element as well. I remember the first thing I. I did the game last year on TV, and I talked to Coach Hoyberg before the game. First thing I said to him, I said, how concerned are you with the environment? And he said, extremely. And so, I mean, in, in rivalry games, the environment for the road team's a real thing. It's a real thing. I mean, one of the – I've played in a lot of nasty environments. One of the toughest environments I ever played in was my junior year at Creighton we played at Nebraska. We were ranked in the preseason top twenty five. We were twenty-fourth at the time. We lost at the Devaney Sports Center. It, it was rocking in there. So the the lack of an environment makes a difference. So I, I like the I, I like Creighton over Nebraska. That's the my prediction. You know, I, I I love that these two teams are playing during this this crazy season. But I think Creighton wins, I don't know, by eight 10, 12 points in that in that area. Okay, last topic. It was a juicy one. Last topic to dive into is one that's super layered and you know there's a ton to discuss with it. And that is Mackenzie Milton announced that he is transferring from Central Florida. And naturally, because of his connection to Scott Frost, the question immediately has been posed of, hey, should Nebraska go get McKenzie Milton? Should Nebraska be interested in getting Milton as a grad transfer quarterback? This is one of those topics that I can see both sides of the argument. I really can But I want to take a deep dive and really unpack it because while I can see both sides – of the hey, don't take Milton. That would be a mistake, and definitely try to go get Milton. I can see both sides of that discussion. There are some arguments within it that I've heard from people that I disagree with, and I've heard you know, I, there's I have a couple of thoughts that I haven't heard discussed yet. So, I mean, I would say, I'll just I'll start with this. I would say, gun to my head, if someone came into my podcast studio right now, put a gun to my head, and said, right now. Should Nebraska go after should Nebraska go get Mackenzie Milton? Right now as it stands on December 9th, where do I lean? I lean towards Nebraska going after Mackenzie Milton. Am I 100% convinced that's the right move? No. Can my opinion change? Absolutely it can change. So let's let's get into it. And I'll kind of lay out and make the case for going against, going and getting Mackenzie Milton, and against going after and, and trying to get Mackenzie Milton if you're in Nebraska. I'll start with why you shouldn't do it. This is why you shouldn't do it. First reason: Mackenzie Milton had a horrific injury, the kind of injury that if you see the replay of it, if you have a weak stomach, you might need a doggy bag. You might need to be near a toilet because you might puke. It's one of the most gruesome knee injuries I've ever seen in a football game. He almost had his leg amputated. So this isn't just like a normal eh, torn torn MCL or something like that. It's going to make a full recovery. This is way different. So you don't know where this guy's health is at. And if Nebraska were to take him, and let, let's say he starts. They take him, he starts. It will have been over two years since the guy played in a game. That's a long time off. So from a time off standpoint and a health standpoint, you don't fully know what you are getting with Mac- this Mackenzie Milton 2.0. you're not you don't know. Second reason. the jump from the AAC to the Big Ten is a, is a big one. Not only is the jury out on Mackenzie Milton's health, The jury is out on the fact that that's a big jump from the American Athletic Conference to the Big Ten. It's a big one. Listen, playing Wisconsin and Ohio State is a little different than playing East Carolina and Temple. It's a little different. Playing Iowa is a little different than playing UConn. Can his success that he had in this offense, in the AAC translate to the big 10 certainly debatable certainly debatable next reason does does getting a different and quote unquote perceived better quarterback solve all the other issues on this team and on this nebraska offense right you got to you got to ask yourself that i don't think it really does this team, whether Milton's under center, Martinez is under center, McCaffrey's under center, this team has big roster holes at wide receiver, running back, and pass rusher. And this team is still undisciplined and sloppy. Regardless of who's that quarterback, those weaknesses still exist. Certainly a factor with how you assess all of this. The next reason why you... Should, shouldn't go get McKenzie Milton. Adrian Martinez, if he continues to play well and finish this season strong, I mean, all of a sudden over the past two games, Martinez has started to look good. All of a sudden you're like, ooh, okay. In particular, the Purdue game, I thought the Purdue game was the best game Adrian Martinez has played since the Illinois game of 2019, which was like the fourth or fifth game of the year. So it's been, it's been over a year since... Martinez has has looked like that. And if Martinez is getting his groove back and he continues to play well and continues to showcase signs that he is the guy, then don't mess with it. If he's the guy, he's the guy. So I think Martinez's late surge here would have a lot to do with why you'd maybe say no to McKenzie Milton. And lastly, on why you shouldn't go get Milton. This is something that I don't know. I can't answer this question fully. The the coaching staff right now has to be honest with themselves. You know, do Frost, Verdusco, Lubick, do they fully... 100% believe that the answer at the quarterback spot for them to win and win big is on the roster right now? Do they truly, confidently, 100% think they can win and get this program to a division title with one of Martinez or McCaffrey or maybe even Logan Smothers? Because all those quarterbacks are on the timeline of when Nebraska needs to not just start winning, but like win the Big Ten West. I mean, Martinez could be here for two more years. McCaffrey could be here for four more years. Logan Smothers, obviously, is a true freshman. So the reality is, I think everyone in the program and around the program hopes to win a division title in the next two, three, four years. I mean, guys, we'd be in year five, six, or seven of Frost time here. Like, that's not that crazy to be like, ah, win a West division title by year seven or six. And the reality is for that to happen, one of these quarterbacks likely needs to be the guy to take Nebraska there. So the question simply becomes, does Nebraska truly, sincerely believe that one of the quarterbacks on the roster right now is the quarterback to take Nebraska where they want to get to? And I threw Smothers in there, but really, who are we talk about? We're talking about Martinez and McCaffrey. Those are the two guys at the center of this discussion. If the coaches can sit in a room and sincerely, 100% believe, yes, Martinez and McCaffrey are the answer, then don't go get Milton. Then don't go get Milton. But, and this spills into the reasons why you may entertain going and getting McKenzie Milton, if the coaches sit in a room and don't sincerely, truly, 100% believe that Martinez and McCaffrey are the answer, if they don't sincerely think they can do it, then I think things get interesting. Which heads us into the other side of this discussion. If the coaches don't think the long-term answer is Adrian Martinez or Luke McCaffrey, then I really think you got to take a good hard look at McKenzie Milton. I really do. I mean, hell, let me ask you. I'm talking to you right now. You listening to the podcast. You, talking to you right now. Do you think Martinez and McCaffrey can lead Nebraska to a division title? Do you Deep down inside, do you really 100% believe one of those two guys are the long-term answer at quarterback? One of the, those two guys are going to lead Nebraska into Indianapolis to play for a Big Ten title. You see, I'm not convinced. I'm just being real with you. Based on what I've seen, I'm not convinced. Now, again... This is why I hedged at the start of this thing. I think if Martinez, if he continues his resurgence and finishes the year strong, then I think he maybe can be the guy. But let's be honest. What's funny about this is, man, everyone was ready to sit that guy down for the rest of the year just a few weeks ago. Everybody was ready to say, sit down, Martinez era, likely done. That was just a few weeks ago. I'm old enough to remember when everyone wanted Adrian Martinez sat down. And what's, what's hard is I'm a Martinez fan. I don't know how you couldn't be a fan. Like, the guy's just so damn likable. I've been a defender of his. But at some point, winning matters. And listen, Martinez has started a lot of games that Nebraska has not won. Right now, I mean Nebraska last three years four and eight, five and seven. This year they're two and four. Those are Nebraska's record each year with Martinez and Lincoln. That's not great. And again, it's not all on him. It's not all on him. But on some level, he's had a hand in in that. You can't you can't put all the blame on him. But you know he's the, he's been the starting quarterback for the for the vast majority of those games. So what's hard is, and I said this when he got benched, we, we, we likely have a big enough sample size to draw a fairly safe conclusion as to what Martinez is in this current situation. And you know what? That conclusion, as of right now, is he's okay. He has flashes of good, but certainly isn't great. And can someone who can be described like that be considered the long-term answer at quarterback? That's very debatable. And with Luke McCaffrey, listen, I don't want to be unfair and write the kid off with such a limited sample size. But I do think based on what we've seen, Luke McCaffrey is limited at the quarterback spot. There's a reason a lot of people, a lot of other Division one programs, wouldn't recruit him as a quarterback. Super athlete, super, uh, super charisma. Really dynamic running the ball. But the idea that all of a sudden he's going to become this polished, silky smooth, super accurate throwing quarterback seems, seems like a little, seems like kind of like a tall task to me. Now, don't get me wrong, I think there's a role for a player like Luke McCaffrey who is really dynamic running the ball. He's just a good football player. But again, based on what you've seen, and then within that, what you can project, do you think Luke McCaffrey's the long-term answer at quarterback? I'd say again, very debatable. So that's when all this gets really uncomfortable, right? Like I'm even, I'm by myself in my podcast studio in the basement of my house, a little uncomfortable. Because how could you not like Luke McCaffrey and Adrian Martinez as dudes? Impossible not to like. But this is where, as a head coach of a big time college football program, you can't make decisions based on who you like as individuals. You have to make decisions based in what gives us the best chance to win and get us to where we want to go as a program. I'm telling you, this is the kind of stuff that I've always felt like is why I'd struggle to ever be a big time college basketball coach. Right, like a, once upon a time, I was I was a grad assistant at Creighton, and I was thinking I might coach. But you know what's hard is I don't know if I'm I got it in me to to be mean or to make some of these tough personnel decisions like this. Like I don't have I don't have the heart to break other players' hearts. I don't have it. If you know anything about me, I am chronically non-confrontational. Chronically, I, I I avoid confrontation. You know, I'm not a puss. You know what I'm saying? But like, I, I'm I, I I avoid confrontation. I don't have it in me to be an a hole and make decisions that are going to rock players' lives. And I've seen it, man. Like, what's weird is like, if someone asks me what does it take to be an elite college football or college basketball coach. One of the first handful of things I'd write down is like, you gotta be a great human being. You gotta be a great person. But at the same time, you gotta you gotta be willing to be cold and be willing to make really tough decisions. And, you know, again, I've I've seen it in my experiences as a player. I saw some dudes get run out, straight up told, you gotta go. 20 years old, 21 years old, you got to go. You're out of here. This guy's taking your scholarship. You're out of here. And I've seen the looks on those kids' faces like, fuck, what? I always feel bad. In some ways, my red shirt year at Creighton, we had 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 a cat, Dominic Bishop. He's from New York. He was a junior college transfer. At the end of that season, at the end of my red shirt year then I was going to become eligible after sitting out, Dom was pretty much told, Nick's going to take your spot. You're going to take your minutes. So, I mean, if you want to stay, you can stay, but you're, Nick's taking your spot. And I was friends with Dom. And I remember when Dom told me that, it was like, damn. This dude was from New York, he came to Omaha, and now all of a sudden, he's got to go. I could give you a bunch of other stories, but I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But like, I've just, I've seen it. And then obviously in my time being around college basketball for other pro, I've seen it, man. But it's just a, it's the nature of the beast. I'm sure if Damon were here, he'd tell you a million stories. Bo could tell you a mil, mil, million stories. Barrett, Mule, Jake Mule, all these guys could tell you a million stories just like that one. In big-time college basketball and college football, you have to make extremely tough decisions that can upset some kids and their families. And I don't, I just don't really have the heart to do that. But when you get to be, when, when you get to a position like head coach of the Nebraska football program, you can't make every decision with your heart. It has to be with your head and based in logic and reason. And again, what gives my program the best chance to achieve what I want to achieve? That has to be your guiding light. Like, I love Steve Sippel. Love the guy to death. But I heard Steve Sippel saying on Sportsman Iconic like when discussing this topic that one of the reasons to not get Mackenzie Milton is the amazing relationship that Martinez and McCaffrey have. I, I, listen, I mean... I get it, and that's cool. But what does that have to do with what the goal is? Either those two quarterbacks are good enough or they're not. This isn't a friendship team. It's a football team. And for as much as I love being unselfish and being a good teammate and I love their chemistry and their chemistry is great and their relationship is great, The starting quarterback's relationship with the backup quarterback doesn't win championships. Great starting quarterbacks win championships. So, you know, so I get that that room gets along and all that, but in all reality, what are you preserving by protecting that? A a great quarterback-to-quarterback relationship has gotten you what? Boy, I tell you, you know Martinez and McCaffrey and Verdusco—they just got this great. Well, that and that. Okay, cool. That's great. Not saying that doesn't matter, but like, and that's gotten you what exactly? And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just willing to say some of this shit out loud. It's big boy football. It's big time college football. It's a bottom line business. I've told you a million times, I ride or die with Scott Frost, and we all know the runway is long for him here in Lincoln. But at some point, Nebraska has to start winning games. Like next year is going to be year four. I'm not, I'm not saying it's for year, it's next year it's win nine or ten games or bust. I'm not saying that. But at some point all the foundational long term it's coming it's coming it's coming they're going to they're going to turn a corner it, at some point all that has to translate into winning more games It just does right I'm not telling you anything you don't know but it just does cuz you got to say these things out loud Cuz I've told people before Nebraska isn't going to go from winning 2 games, 4 games, 5 games, 4 games, 11 wins hang a championship banner that's not usually how it works We all agree that Nebraska has to learn how to win and Nebraska has to become a winning program again, right? Like, we all agree on that. Well, the only way to do that is to start winning games. And Nebraska's just, they're they're not winning games. Now, again, that's why I preface it. Like, Nebraska could finish the season strong and Martinez, it looks good. And then that changes the dynamic a little bit because the bottom line changed. But at some point, Nebraska start winning, they gotta start winning games. And so I bet there's some people saying right now, like Nick, it's not like Nebraska is ready to win the Big Ten title next year. So why would you bring Milton in for that? I get it, and you're right. But again, at some point, you got to start winning games. And at some point, the identity of this program has to take off, which is the offense. The identity under Scott Frost at Nebraska, until further notice, is offense, 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 offense. Big-time electric offense, playing fast, big plays, lighting up the scoreboard. And for that to happen, you got to have a great quarterback. And with all that said, I leave you with a question and a reality. The question is, do you believe Martinez and McCaffrey are the guys to get this offense to explode? The reality is, the last time this offense exploded, McKenzie Milton was the quarterback. I can see it both ways. But I think, barring some amazing finish from Martinez, the McKenzie Milton topic is a real one on some level, no matter how uncomfortable you feel thinking about it or talking about it. So there you go. That was food for thought. You do the dishes.